For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's time for Tim. The Tim Weisberg Show on 1420 WBSM and streaming live on WBSM.com and the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message through the WBSM app. And now, WBSM's big gun, Tim Weisberg. And welcome back in. Hour number two of the program here on Friday. And room for you at 508-996-0500. And also on App Chat on the WBSM app. So you can call in, you can text in, whatever works better for you. And uh, later on this hour, we will be joined by New Bedford City Council President Linda Morad and Ward 2 Councilor Maria Giesta. We're going to be talking about some of the different issues going on. And, of course, we will talk more with them about the mayor's veto letter and uh, the veto of all three questions that the council wants placed on the November ballot and what happens from there. And uh, so we will talk with them later on this hour. But I just want to give you an update. As I was mentioning, I had our IT department working on updating our mobile web homepage and uh, that has now been completed and so now when you go there at wbsm.com on your mobile device browser not the app the app is different when you go to the app that's kind of self-contained within itself but when you open up your phone's browser whether you use um, safari some people might use for an iphone whether you use google chrome that's what i use that way there my bookmarks and saved passwords and everything are all available both on my phone and on my computer and across the board. So you might use Chrome, you might use Firefox, who knows what it is that you have on there. You, that's your business. But the bottom line is, it's my business to make sure that the mobile homepage is the most uh, interactive and, and, and beneficial experience it can be. And so uh, they did that, they cleaned it all up, they got rid of some of the other stuff there that had been stagnant. And they got rid of uh, some of the uh, filters that were keeping you from getting every single story appearing right there in, in the roll-up of all the stories. So now it is working perfectly. So again, you know, sorry that it took a little bit to get to that. I don't, I don't use the mobile web nearly enough. I use the app for everything, so I didn't realize it was doing that. But now, now it should be going well. So thank you to not only Marcus for bringing that up on the program last night, but for Marcus Uno in the app chat who brought it up to Marcus's attention. I wonder if Marcus Uno is, I wonder if that's Marcus's number one fan. Is that what Marcus Uno means? Hmm. Maybe. Maybe. Either way, but thank you to, to both of you for uh, bringing that to my attention and making it so that we could have that fixed. So speaking of fixed, it's been a long turnaround process for the New Bedford Public Schools, but... Uh, it seems now that they are in a good place, and they must be because people were looking, uh, other departments, were, other school systems, rather, were looking to uh, hire Superintendent Thomas Anderson 
and now he has accepted the job in his hometown of East Hartford, Connecticut. He will begin work there July 1st, which means that as of July 1st, New Bedford is going to be needing a new superintendent. Uh, when the news broke yesterday, we had reached out to Mayor John Mitchell for comment as both the mayor of the city and as the chair ex officio of the school committee. And he said that, um, you know, it is, it's possible that there will be an interim superintendent to start things off while they continue on this search. So it's, it is, it can be a long process. For, if you remember going through it, I believe in 2017 when Superintendent Anderson was hired, uh, that was a long process. And also the process of these other towns that were looking for a superintendent. It's been kind of a long process. So just as an example, East Hartford in December found out that their superintendent was taking a job elsewhere. So that's that's a pretty quick turnaround to start the search in December and you know by mid-March be able to make a new hire. So that's, but they don't have as long of a process in Connecticut either. They don't have to announce finalists and do all those kind of things. They can just, they can go through the process and they can offer somebody the job and then just say, here's the person we hired. So it's a little bit different than it is in Massachusetts, according to the uh, the search firm there that I talked to. So they can get away with finding somebody in just a matter of a couple of months. I don't know that that will be the case here in New Bedford, but I'm sure the school committee will get cracking on that very quickly. And uh, I guess it helps that they went through this process again in recent memory with a lot of the same school, excuse me, school committee members on on the committee. Uh, so there's 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 some new faces, but for the most part, they've gone through this relatively recently, and some of them have been there since you know when it was the process before that. So I think you can see it happen relatively quickly. I do think there's going to be a push for an internal candidate. I don't know of anybody that's going to throw their hat in the ring. I would assume Heather Larkin would if she's, I you know, I haven't talked to her in a long time. But she, I could, I would assume she'd still be interested in the job because she was one of the finalists before. I wonder if there are more internal candidates in New Bedford now. You know, people are five years older, five years wiser, five years more experience, five years of life changes where they might say, you know what, I think I would like to be more in an administrative role and I think I would be somebody that would be a good candidate for superintendent. Maybe there's some folks that are already, you know, in that administration that can just get just get a, uh, a promotion. So let's, uh, let's, let's see what that process is. Of course, we'll keep you up to date with it. Um, as soon as we know that the process has begun, we'll, you know, we'll start discussing it with you. And uh, I'll take your phone calls and thoughts on it, 508-996-0500. And uh, it, you can let me know what it is that you think New Bedford needs in its next superintendent. Whether you think that it's a continuation of the job Thomas Anderson was doing, whether you think there might have been something that's been lacking there. Uh, but as I said earlier this morning, I read a lot of comments that were negative about Thomas Anderson and his time here. And I, I don't see where that negativity comes from. Granted, I'm not in the schools on a day-to-day -day basis. I don't know the relationship that he might have had with the teachers, um, which is usually a point of contention in any school system, uh, is how does the, 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 
the union member teachers get along with the administration. But I didn't hear a lot of bad things about Thomas Anderson and his, and his time leading the administration. Maybe you've heard differently, but I, I see all these negative comments that are in the stories and I'm like, well, are these people that actually know anything or are these people that are just, you know, like every time you put something about New Bedford out there, there's going to be people that have to make comments. Well, what do you expect? It's New Bedford. And I just, I don't, I don't like that mindset of p- the people that live here. It just, it, it boggles my mind that people feel that way about the place that they live and just complain about it rather than trying to do anything to change it if that's what they really think is happening. But anyway, I think that there was a lot of those comments under the story. A lot of the, you know, the, the people who still have this mis, misconception of what the New Bedford Public Schools are. 508-996-0500. Good morning. You're on WBSM. Hello. Hi, you're on the air. Yes. Uh, in speaking with or listening to um, Marcus Ferrer yesterday in his conversation with Bruce Silva, uh, mm-hmm. or Sylvia, he, uh, Bruce, Bruce Oliveira. Oliveira, I'm sorry, yeah. Bruce Oliveira. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were mentioning something about Andrew O'Leary. I would love to see Andrew O'Leary get a crack. Yeah. He has done such a great job in, in his yeah. role. Yeah, that conversation sounded very positive yesterday from Bruce. Uh, he's on vacation right now, but uh, both he and Marcus uh, both felt the same way, and I, I guess you do as well. I do. I and, just didn't. Uh, I didn't want to bring up his name because I didn't know if he if he had the interest in it, and I didn't want to seem like I was oh, trying I to see. trying to I, recruit him. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry if I did something. No, no, wrong, no. Totally but, fine. Uh, totally fine. Yeah, I just wanted to throw it out at you. Okay. Yeah, I think I think you're right. He would be a fantastic choice, yeah. especially considering you know the the initiatives that he's put into play and and, and and the way he's been able to save money. In the school yes. department. Yes. Thank you very much for taking my call. Thank you. Thank you. And okay. uh, so, so you know, the caller opened the door for it. Yeah, I think Andrew O'Leary would be a great candidate for it. And I, I know other people that keep an eye on the school department um, in, in a, well, let me just say in a journalistic capacity, have talked about that too, that have said that they think he would make a, a great superintendent. Uh, of course, as, you know, we broke the story weeks ago that Superintendent Anderson was a candidate for the West Hartford job, um, for the um, Newton job. And I started having conversations with people then about who might be a person. And I think Andrew O'Leary would be fantastic choice. This is a person who is fiscally minded, who will not, you know, he'll be able to stay on budget. And we know how big the school department budget is, but he's also been able to come up with creative ways, creative ways, not just it's easy to say we're going to build a new school. We're going to build a new facility. And somebody comes along like, you know, Dr. Irwin Jacobs comes and gives you a, a donation to make it all happen. Or there's grant funding to make this this facility take place and all that. It's it's one thing to be able to do that, but Andrew O'Leary goes beyond that. He finds creative ways to make things, these things happen. So when people look at that and say, oh, no, I, I don't think New Bedford schools can afford to build a centralized kitchen to, to prepare all the hot meals to the schools that don't have kitchens. And he says, yeah, you want to bet? Boom, here it is. And uh, so I think that he is somebody that would be a great leader if he's interested in the job. There's, there's something to be said for being... You know, the the number two person. Some people like being the number two person. 
uh, because they don't they don't necessarily they they feel like that takes the pressure off them to get the job done. So I don't know if that's definitely the case with him, but uh, I'm sure if he's on vacation now, if uh, if that's what um, the the caller was saying. I, again, I haven't had a chance to listen to South Coast tonight much from last night. Just what I heard on the way home from the bowling alley and and after that, but I think that. Uh, you know, he would be somebody that would be at the top of anybody's list of wanting to hire. Just a matter of whether or not he wants the job. 508-996-0500. Speaking of schools, Courtney in Freetown says, Hey, Tim, thanks for highlighting Kayla Churchill's run for school committee yesterday. All very valid points that you made. And again, I, I, I thought about this after I discussed it yesterday. And I hope that people don't think that I was, you know, beating up on Kayla Churchill yesterday when I was saying that I just wasn't taking her seriously, you know, to borrow the line from Chris McCarthy, I just don't think that she's a serious person. I think that, you know, she could be. I think that she seems to have a a desire to want to affect some change, but it's hard to, it's hard to point to a person who, you know, can't even get things spelled correctly on, on their campaign literature. I don't know, maybe I'm too picky about it, but I kind of want the people that want to be in charge of the decisions that are made for our schools to be people that appear uh, educated. And I'm not saying that she appears uneducated, but people can point to that and say, what? You know, and, and I think that it's the same thing when people are, you know, calling in and, and discussing what books should be in the library because there, there's controversy over the books and they, they say the word library. Like, no, it's library. I can't take you seriously if you can't get that right. So that's there, there was certainly some of that in my comments that I, you know, I just, I don't know how serious I can take you if these little things, like, and it's not that hard if you're running a campaign to say to somebody, hey, take a look at this. And unless you went and ordered those, those that campaign literature on, on Vistaprint or one of these other websites where you just put it up your site yourself and nobody looks it up. If you like went to a printer, the printer should have looked at that and said, uh, you spelled this wrong. So if it did go through a printer, shame on them too. And also, as I said, you know, I, I don't know that you know how to be a candidate if your way of funding your campaign is starting a GoFundMe. And I'm sure, I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say a GoFundMe. Let's let's let let me uh, let me correct that because I believe there was a GoFundMe started for her legal defense, but I can't imagine that that stayed up because GoFundMe doesn't allow for. Well, no, I think they would in that case. It's it's only violent crimes that they don't allow for for legal defense, and I don't think trespassing into a school would be would fall into that category. So there probably was a GoFundMe, but she used the the um, the other one instead, the one that Howie Carr uses, the one that all the conservatives use. Because they they don't trust what GoFundMe does with the money, and they don't support GoFundMe and some of its initiatives. So there's there's the one that Howie talks about. I can't think of the name of it right now, off the top of my head, but uh, it'll pop into my head. It's like go send, go send something like that, and you know one of the options on there is is pray. Like you can donate, you can like, you can also pray. For the person, and I'm like, eh. I, I think you're kind of, you're kind of. First of all, you're putting yourself into a little niche there, if you're trying to appeal to voters with that, and also, like that's not how you run it. That's not how you finance a campaign. 
you have to start an actual campaign account, register with the Office of Campaign and Political Finance, submit all that paperwork. Like, this is how you run an actual campaign. And I just can't take you seriously if you don't know these things. So, anyway, that's just, uh, that's just my thoughts on that. 508-996-0500 if you want to call in and chime in. We are going to be taking a break in a moment, though. When we come back on the other side of the break, we will be joined by New Bedford City Council President Linda Morad and Ward 2 Councilor Maria Giesta. We have a lot to discuss with them. And then at 11 o'clock, when we come back from the news, we can get your reaction to all of that as well. And if at any point you want to send in an app chat message, you can go to WBSM's app, open that up. Right in the middle of the screen, you'll see app chat. And it sounds, it sounds different. It sounds like it's its own thing, but it's really just texting us in the studio. That's all that it is. The same way you would text your friends, you're just texting us in the studio. We can either read it on air or we can text you back. You get a little alert on your phone that says they have a message just like you would if it was a regular text. Super easy to use, and I recommend it to you if you've never tried it. It's a lot of fun. But uh, right now, I will take a break, and then we'll be back with the City Council President, Linda Morad and Ward 2 Councilor Maria Giesta. And welcome back in. It is Friday. It is 1030 in the morning. That means it is time to connect with New Bedford City Council President Linda Morad. And joining her today, we have Ward 2 Councilor Maria Giesta. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Tim. How are you today? Doing all right. Um, I, you hear the silence in the background here. Unfortunately, Councilor Giesta is not going to be with us today. Um, last okay. night, she wasn't feeling well and didn't make the council meeting and that's continued today. So I told her to stay and relax and try to get herself uh, feeling better. And I'll put her on with me again in the near future. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, this time of year, it's, it's always weird because people, people can get sick and it can last for weeks if, uh, if, if they don't uh, take care of it with uh, this change in the weather and the change yeah, in the seasons. Absolutely. Yep. Cause you don't have the cold weather to dispel the germs. So, but uh, I'm sure she'll feel well. I know that we were all scheduled herself, uh, Councilor Markey and I are scheduled to go to the uh, Brooklyn Senior Center today for the grand opening luncheon, and I know she's very disappointed about not being able to make that, especially since that's in her award. Yeah, t- t- I know that um, you know they're starting to make that switch over now, right, to uh, to where they're where the seniors are going to be going for their programming. Yes, this is week three. Um, last week, uh, Councilor Pereira and I were down at Hazelwood. There was there was a nice crowd there, 50, 55 people. Uh, it seems like programs there are picking back up. At Brooklawn today, there are 45 people registered for the luncheon. And according to Deb Lee, the Council on Aging Director, you know, things have been improving steadily at Brooklawn. So I think the, the seniors in the city are welcoming the addition of another senior center and them being on either end of the city is more convenient for them. So uh, I think that's it's been a win-win for everybody. I know that uh, some of the people that utilized Buttonwood were um, were uncomfortable uh, with driving the couple of miles either way, but hopefully now with the nice weather, that won't be an issue throughout the summer and the fall. And uh, it's unfortunate the way that got released to our seniors. Uh, we should have done a better job in making sure that they were aware of it before somebody let it slip. Well, and, and certainly it doesn't hurt. You know, if you, you can always cushion the blow of having to make a, a big change like that by giving people a free lunch. So yeah. <laughs> I learned... Yeah, I mean, well, listen, D&D Catering last week uh, gave us a corned beef lunch. It was absolutely delicious, along with bread bread pudding. Uh, Council Pereira didn't indulge, but I certainly did. I'm a senior, and uh, <laughs> I'm planning on doing that again today. I've never wanted to be older, uh, more you know, 
<laughs> than I do right now. Uh, so I do I do want to talk to you because when this when when the mayor's veto letter came out um, on Wednesday, I reached out to you for reaction, and uh, you were on your way into a meeting, so you were able to give us a very uh, very short statement on it. But I know that there is going to be more discussion about it uh, in the future. I know last night it, it wasn't on the agenda to discuss. Will it be on an upcoming agenda to for the councillors to, to kind of have their say on the floor about how they yeah, feel about that letter? I didn't hear your peers on the radio, but my colleagues told me that, you know, they had some misinformation, which is unfortunate. But, um, you know, the way the way the council calendar works, things, in order for things to appear on the council agenda from the mayor, they need to appear in the council office on the Thursday prior to the to the council meeting. And that veto did not come at that point in time. So it will be received and spread on the record on April 13th, which is the next council meeting. Uh, from time to time, colleagues speak on those issues when they're spread on the record. But from time to time, we just spread them on the record. And then they're taken up at the following meeting, uh, which in this case, 13 and sub will be April 27th. And at that point, there'll be a vote on those three items to either uh, accept the veto as presented or to override the veto. And uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of discussion, uh, not only from your listeners and your callers, but from the, my colleagues as well over the course of the next three weeks regarding those items. And I do appreciate you reaching out to me. Um, I was aware because the council office let us know that they were in receipt of the veto letter, but I hadn't had a chance to read it because, as, as I mentioned to you, I, I was coming out of one meeting and going into another. Um, I was going into the meeting with the chief uh, and the neighborhood groups. But, uh, you know, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to at least, you know, have a little bit of the council's voice in your article. And as I said in my comments to you, I, I know that you will hear more from us uh, over the course of the next two weeks. Well, I, I know that you, you took uh, exception to the language that was used in the letter and um, and the way that the, the mayor was characterizing things. But he the way that he characterized it was that these questions were just put put out there for a vote, that there was no discussion that happened. Uh, he had mentioned, you know, the open meeting law violation potential, which I know you took exception to. And so his... I, I strongly take exception to that. Um, you know, frankly, shame on the administration for making that kind of comment without any factual information. Uh, he's elected as I am elected, and um, I I was very much taken aback by his ability to, to uh, by his um, tactic in, in using that comment. You know, Tim, government works this way. Um, uh, uh, Councillors do their job. The administration does their job. Certainly, the administration has the right to express their opinion and to issue a veto. Um, that's been going on for a long time before I've been elected uh, to the New Bedford City Council. But uh, the, the tone of that message, the length of that message, the, um, you know, teaching me and my colleagues about uh, prior uh, examples, et cetera, the, um, I don't know, the dismissive nature of the fact that the council was doing their job, the tone of, gee, I know better than you, and frankly, I know better than what you're telling me the voters say, um, that's unfortunate. It, that should not have been the tone of that letter. Uh, send your veto, uh, explain why you feel that that is necessary, and let, let, the, let the action happen that would happen. So well, I, I'm sorry about that. And as I said in my comment to you as well, and I know I'm rattling, I'm sorry, but, you know, um, 
I've been working hard, and I believe John Mitchell's been working as hard to make sure that in this year that we, the council, myself and he, are trying to work together for the better of the citizens in New Bedford. And it's unfortunate that that letter was issued in that manner with that type of tone. Well, you know, the, the mayor's language and tone aside, that question has come up quite a bit from callers. Uh, I discussed it with Jack Spillane on Monday. So kind of talk us through the process of how those questions did come to be and, and be brought up to be put onto the ballot, because there must have been discussions that were happening ahead of just what we heard in the last council meeting. No, I don't think there was. Um, you know, I'll speak for myself. And, you know, the way this process works, just again, to educate uh, your listeners, when a counselor proposes an item for the agenda, we, we have a deadline to be 10 o'clock the Monday before the council meeting. Uh, that changes, obviously, if there's a holiday or a different meeting date. But counselors submit their, um, their motions. From time to time, two colleagues will have received the same call, and they jointly put something on the agenda together, or three counselors if we're at a meeting, et cetera. But oftentimes, councils will put something forward. I did this myself on my motion, so I'll speak uh, to my, for my own. And I put that forward, and I said to the council office, and we do this all the time, I'm submitting this item for the council agenda. Uh, please share with my colleagues to see if anybody wants to co-sponsor. That's how the process works. So the office staff will um, oftentimes help me with my grammar and my punctuation. They'll create the motion and they'll send an email to the counselor saying, Council Morad is presenting this for the next agenda. Anybody that wants to co-sponsor, please contact the office. That's how the process works. So the only person I had had this conversation with about putting this on the agenda is Attorney Garatowski and Cork Ferries. Those are the two people that I had the conversation with. Now, in the past, I've talked to my colleagues about receiving these types of calls, but I didn't call up my colleagues as being as I'm being accused of doing and saying, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Do you have any interest in signing on with me? That is not how that process works. And I did not receive a call from Councillor um, Gomes regarding his message. I was aware that Councilor Burgo was putting his item on the agenda because Clerk Farius mentioned that to me. And I pick up the phone and called Councilor Burgo and said, hey, uh, tell me what you're doing. I'm interested in this and asked him if I could sign on. So there's no, there's no um, behind the scenes kind of stuff. We're not going to dinner or lunch. I mean, um, Jack Spillane is calling my colleagues saying, I've got a rumor that you go to breakfast or dinner with Councilor Morad once a week. I don't know where he gets this stuff, and I thought Jack was much more seasoned than to, you know, actually believe that kind of stuff. But I don't go to dinner or lunch with my colleagues once a week to discuss council business. And when I do go once a month or when I meet them at a function like the Friendly Sons of uh, of St. Patrick a couple weeks ago or like this Saturday night for the Prince Henry Society... Trust me, we're all adults, number one, we know the law, and number two, we actually have lives outside of the council, and we actually do talk about other things in the world. Uh, we don't just talk about New Bedford City Council business. And, I, you know, I'm insulted by those insinuations, honestly, and I think my colleagues are as well, Tim. And, and I don't know where it comes from. <laughs> to, to be fair, if if you did go and have lunch with a fellow councillor and discuss city business, that is legal because there's not a quorum. Yeah, it is. But, I mean, it's just not what happens. Um, like, I'm going to see Council Markey in about a half hour. 
we're going to be at the Brookline Senior Center. We'll be talking to the seniors, et cetera. I, I'm, I'm not about to have a conversation with Councilor Markey about one of those three ballot questions uh, or actually anything else, to be honest with you. I, I may talk to Councilor Markey about how disgusted I am with the antics of some of the folks that come to the chamber, and he might do the same with me as well. But it's not like we're talking about city council business. We're not. And it's the same thing when I see John Mitchell on the street. You know, I'm not talking to John Mitchell about what's going on in the council. Uh, that's, that's not what's going on. And, you know, so you had asked me a different question a minute ago, and I will address that. Both of us have been working, as I said to you, to make sure that, you know, we are working together for the betterment of the city. For example, I have a regular meeting with him. I have not missed it. He has not missed it. Uh, we've had to alter it a couple of times because of our schedules, and we've done that through, you know, his administrative team very easily. This week after the ordinance meeting, I wanted to chat with him about something. I called into the office on Wednesday morning, asked if he could call me when it was convenient. He called me within an hour. I mean, it's not like we're at odds with things, and I'm frankly tired of people indicating that. And you might ask him that as well the next time you have him on the show. I think he'll tell you the same thing. Sure. And, and one, one of the things he did mention in the letter, too, is that he feels that the council putting these questions on the ballot is the council shirking its duties to give, you know, the information to the people and to make policy decisions for the people. You talked with us last week about wanting to have, you know, the people's voices part of it. Uh, to be clear, from my understanding, these being non-binding questions, it's not like it's not like the council has to take any action on any of these items, even if the people are overwhelmingly for them. That's correct. And in addition to that, with regard to the CPA item, as you know, I addressed this already with you, um, that actually requires, per the law, the council to vote to put it on the ballot. So not only are we going to listen to what the people say, but if, in fact, the people say, hey, yeah, we want to repeal this, you know, my colleagues, whoever's elected next year, next year or the year after, whenever it will go back on the ballot, would have to actually vote to put it on there. So there's, there's an extra layer, uh, if you will, here as it relates to the CPA question. But these are listening tools. And uh, frankly, I'm, 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 I'm surprised that the administration isn't interested in what the people have to say. Um, I'm very surprised about that. And, you know, the diabolical plot that we have that I've heard uh, a couple times from actually some of your your colleagues that were, you know, trying to drive the vote out. Well, frankly, I, I guess I'm pretty stupid. I never thought about that. But good. I'm glad people are going to come out. But to be fair about that, that came from Councillor Burgo's own comment where he said, you know, these will be questions that will drive voter turnout. So, yeah, but, but that's not the council. That's not the council thinking, let's put things on the ballot so that we can get people to come and vote. That wasn't his intention, and it's certainly not the council's intention. But if it does result in that, I mean, we've been talking for a long time about how we can increase um, voter turnout. I was with Nanny DeBrito last night in the League of Women Voters talking to a group of people in the library about possibilities of you know, ways to get younger people involved and to get them to be the voice with their parents and with their family members to get out there to vote. I mean, things are happening to try to increase the vote in New Bedford as well. We want people to come out and vote. So, and again, one of the ways that it's been characterized from callers and from from people having conversation is that, you know, that this is intentional, that there's there's a desire amongst you and, and the counselors to to 
to cause to, to cause chaos, to have a rift between yourself and the administration for whatever purposes might be to that. And, and I just want to give you a chance to, to address those those ideas. No, I don't think so. I mean, uh, your callers can say uh, what their opinion is, and I respect their opinion, but that's not what this issue is, nor is there, nor has there been any of that. Uh, my colleagues are attempting to do their job. In my own case, and again, I speak only for myself, I'm listening to the people. Um, you know, I've, I said that on the council floor. I've said that a couple times to you. Uh, I get calls on a regular basis. Uh, I know some of my colleagues do not. But, uh, you know, we'll see where these items go and we'll see what the people have to say. And, uh, you know, it's it's just very interesting. I mean, you yourself have said that there's been rumblings on a regular basis about the four-year mayor term uh, since that was um, implemented several years ago. So that's not a new subject. And, you know, Councillor, I think the mayor indicated that there's been no discussion on housing, but Councillor Burgo, Kyle Alves, um, Joshua Amaral, Patrick Sullivan before him. These people for the last several years have been banging the drum about homelessness and issues related to uh, people being able to live conveniently and safely in our city. So these are not new conversations either. These things have been rumbling for a while. So um, I, I've spoken a lot. I'm sorry, Tim. No, no. I'm, yeah, I'm concerned about I'm concerned about it. And I'm, the, the council is not the bad guy here. Um, uh, the council is... is is a dedicated group of people who have are trying to do the best they can in the city of New Bedford for the residents that elected them. And I truly believe that of my colleagues and myself. We all have different strengths. We all have different quirks. But in general, it's a group of 11 people who have the best interest of the city at heart. And you know what? You, you have to be because for all the for all the uh, noise that goes along with it and all the humiliation. Uh, sometimes all the intimidation that goes along with the position and the bullying, then, you know, you know you've got a dedicated group of people who continue to go out and try to serve the people in the city. And, and, and just for clarification, you said the council isn't the bad guy here, but you're not suggesting that there is a bad guy here. No, I'm not. I'm, I, I don't think there is a bad guy. You know, the council's trying to do its job. I think that there are a few people in this community um, who maybe are trying to portray the council in that regard. But I don't believe the council is the bad guy. I don't believe the administration is the bad guy. I believe, I honestly believe that everybody's trying to do the best they can for the people that put them in office. Well, let, you know, let's move to a couple of different topics here in, in, in the, yes, the time that we have left. <laughs> um, I, I did I did want to ask you about this, and I know, you know, we were going to have Councillor Giesta address this, but you had brought it up to me that she wanted to discuss the Zyterian issues that we discussed with the mayor, and I, I would just like to kind of get an idea of what's going on with that and, and the council's mindset on that potential 30-year lease for the Zyterian. So um, I'm glad you reminded me of that. She did want to make sure that your listeners are aware. So... Back in 2017, uh, the administration put forward to us a 30-year lease proposal. Uh, 2017 is a long time ago. And it's been in our city property committee since then. And several people who have chaired city property, including Councilor Giesta, over the years, have reached out to the administration to find out whether we're ready to move forward to discuss this item. So again, this year, as part of her... Uh, you know, looking through her pending items in the city property committee, uh, she reached out to the solicitor's office to ask the solicitor's office, are we doing anything with this or what, what's going on? And they came back to her. I'm assuming they had a conversation with the administration, but I, I can't say that off 
and I don't think she can either. But they came back to her and said, listen, we're going to redo that. There's really no reason for you to keep that out there. So what we do as per process, we need to move things out of committee back into the agenda so that we can close the loop. So in this council agenda, you saw us taking that item and putting that into no further action so that you know, when the new item comes, we'll have the new item before us and we can discuss that with the new terms, et cetera. So I'm sorry that, uh, you know, that the mayor didn't know that. I assume when we're calling to his first-line team that they're having this conversation with either him or one of his uh, administrative team. But that's what happened with that. So the fact that everybody's banging the drum saying that you know, the council is not going to do anything with the Citerion, we're not going to do anything with that item from 2017. And we'll await the new item so that we can address that and see what's going on with regard to the lease extension. And, and issuing a request for proposal is not a way of saying that you're not happy with the people that are in there. It's just part of the process. That's part of the process. Yep, that's right. Yep. So, and we have a lot of those. We have several of them pending. Um, I know Council Giesta will be bringing forward shortly on the city property agenda the uh, police and fire stations that are no longer in use so that we can pull those forward and see if we can somehow get somebody enticed into utilizing those properties, maybe for housing, Tim or for whatever, so that we can get those tax, those properties back on the tax roll. And, uh, and and one other thing that was on the agenda for last night, and it was something that um, in, in it happened in committee as well, there was some discussion about the Unit C employees and uh, and some of the benefits that they receive. Yeah, yeah. well, I had a conversation with Adam last night, and um, so let me just clarify that. So uh, after we had passed the Unit C ordinance, the administration wanted us to look at and we agreed with them uh, making a proposal so that if you are a Unit C employee who got a, the benefit of an increase uh, as of October 1st, 2022, because your job grade got changed, um, you would not be entitled to another step increase until October 1st, 2023, one year out. The way people get hired and get um, moved along the step grades in the city your anniversary date is your hire date, and one year from that, you're eligible for an increase. And what the administration was concerned about and what, what, what we concurred with is if we were handing someone an increase in step grade as of October 1st, but their anniversary date was, you know, February, March, April, May, that they not be eligible for a second bump within a 12-month period. So we put those people to October 1st, 2023, and that'll be their new step date going forward. Um, that's fair and equitable to what everybody else in the city uh, is getting. Uh, there are some people, obviously, in the Unit C that did not receive a bump, so this would make that fair and equitable with them. So we weren't adjusting what had been passed. All we were trying to do was make sure that going forward, anybody who got an increase would not get another increase for a 12-month period. Okay, that, that makes sense to me. And then uh, just yep. very quickly in, in the final few moments, I did want to ask you about your meeting with the chief and the neighborhood leaders this week as we were following along with these discussions that are happening at the neighborhood level. Yep, we had a great meeting. Uh, there were several neighborhood meetings. Councilor Carney and Councilor Gomes were with me. Uh, the chief's great. He gives us plenty of time. Uh, you know, we talked about the shooting that was down at Blue Meadows and the one that was at Little Cemetery uh, this past week. The chief told us that his officers have pretty much determined that they were not related, so that's good news. And uh, we also talked to the chief about, um, we, we asked the chief if he would help us with going in, using the traffic division in the police department 
to alter their hours so that they might be able to go into the neighborhoods at night. We're having a lot of trouble with oversized vehicles being parked on the streets and or cars being parked illegally in front of fire hydrants, in front of handicap ramps, in front of driveways, et cetera. So he's agreed to at least once a month um, using a couple of his officers to go out and, you know, see what's going on in the city overnight and also issue some tickets. He told us he was very, his officers were, uh, you know, indicating to him that that's an effort well taken. And we encouraged him to please maybe put out a press release to let people know that we are doing this because, so people can't get out of their driveways. Uh, We have, people can't get down streets because of these oversized trucks, et cetera. So we're trying to improve the quality of, of life in the neighborhoods. And then the chief also came back to us, Tim, and he asked us, we do a towing program. I'm sorry, we do a street cleaning program uh, in the summer in our, on our city streets. And uh, it results in you not being able to park on certain nights in certain neighborhoods and results in towing of vehicles. And the chief had some concerns about that. So he asked us if we would work with DPI and the mayor's office to see if we could alter that program a little bit so we're not towing so many residents' cars, et cetera. So that's a discussion that will open in the next couple of weeks. It may not be something we'll change for this uh, summer season, but hopefully we can make make that program better. All right. Well, we are just about out of time, but uh, I want to thank you for uh, the time that you did give us. And, and I know I know next week you said you'll have Councillor Burgo with you? I will. Yep. I'll have Councillor Burgo next week. And the week after, I believe it's Councillor Pereira. And I will get Councillor Giesta back on as well. But I look forward to seeing you then and uh, actually talking to you then. And I appreciate the time and I appreciate you allowing me to speak today uh, regarding the veto. And as I said, you will definitely hear more from the body and from individual counselors over the course of the next two weeks. Sure, absolutely. And I just want to remind you about, you know, coming in sometime and taking questions because I've gotten a lot of people that have been asking about it this week. So you are welcome anytime during the week that you, you have availability that you want to do that. Let me know and we can set that up. Okay, that's fine. We'll make sure that we make that a priority. All right. Thank you so much. You have a good week, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Tim. You as well. I appreciate the time, and uh, to your listeners as well. All right, and uh, that is New Bedford City Council President Linda Morad. I've got to take my final break of the hour. When we come back on the other side, if we have time, we can take your calls probably more the next hour, 508-996-0500. We'll be back in just a few moments. All right, we are out of time for this hour. Uh, But we'll talk more with you in the next hour. And uh, as you are going around your house today, you might be opening up some of your windows. And uh, you might be realizing that uh, some of your screens are ripped. Well, now is the time to call Precision Window and Kitchen. And I'll tell you a little bit later on in the next hour just about what they can do for you. But start thinking about that as you are. Because I opened up my windows recently and I said, oh, man, some of these screens are coming right off the frame. It's not even like it's a hole or it needs a patch or anything. It's just the whole thing needs to be replaced. And I've tried doing it myself. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.